Well, I know we really never get enough fellowship, but that's enough for this hour. I, I meant to make an announcement when I was up here uh, chattering on a minute ago, and it is that there are very important meeting, congregational meeting of our church during the two worship services, not between, but during each one, you'll be able to vote on the elders and deacons coming up in the next class. That's next Sunday in the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock services in the sanctuary. So make your way over for that next Sunday. Now, let's turn to the Word of God, and we're turning the page into a new series. We're going to be, I'm not sure exactly how long and to what extent, but we're going to be looking at the life and the ministry of Moses. And so today we read about the birth of Moses. So we're all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible. And most of you don't care. you got your bulletins in front of you, and it's printed. So this is the Word of the Lord. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it in bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what was to be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And then she opened it. She saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages." So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And then finally, verses 23 and following. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groanings. And remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And God knew the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is an account no doubt most of you are familiar with from Sunday school. 
This is the story of little Moses and the bulrushes. This is the story. God's people have gone now down into Egypt several centuries now. They've been there. They went down there with Jacob and his sons. And they went down as basically one family with 12 sons and a few grandchildren and grandchildren. And when they were at this point, they were 12 clans that had grown into tribes And they were a large mass of people living and working. And some of the recent studies in archaeology indicate that they lived in a part of Egypt which was very prosperous, and they were the ones who conducted a lot of the trade between the uh, Middle East and Egypt and controlled a lot of the commerce. Also, they were very interested in mines down in the southern part of the Sinai Peninsula and other places. And they had become a very wealthy people. But there arose a Pharaoh that did not know Joseph. And he eventually, I think out of jealousy perhaps, out of fear perhaps, he had managed to enslave God's people. I wish we had time to preach this morning on how do God's people become slaves. But we don't. But I'm telling you there's a process. And I'm telling you, the first step is stepping away from God. And then it's starting to look to other sources of revenue and means, other sources of strength, other powers, looking to other faults of wisdom and understanding besides the Word of God. And before you know it, God's people are dependent. And before you know that, God's people are enslaved. And in their slavery, they're miserable. In their slavery, they're helpless. In their slavery, they have nothing to save them but God himself. And God is going to save his people from their slavery. And that's the the motif that's going to set the stage for the Bible. Because the story of the scriptures is the story of God saving his people. Salvation is of the Lord. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save. Not try to save, not make a way of salvation available if they'd like to take advantage of it. No, he shall save his people. There's a focus to the salvific work of God, and that's the people that God the Father has marked out from all eternity. There's a determinate counsel and a plan and a purpose in this. Paul teaches us in Ephesians, Romans, and elsewhere. The Psalms teach it on every page. God has a purpose, and his purpose is to save his people from their slavery. In this case, it's human bondage, bondage to work and labor, a bondage of toil, a bondage that bears under the curse of the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned and now you've got to toil and sweat for the, your bread. But ultimately, it's the slavery of sin. It is that slavery, as the Scriptures tell us, he who serves sin is a slave of sin. And God comes to break that thraldom and to bring us into liberty. And where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. And if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So that's the, the panorama of the Bible. And Moses is brought in to act out that first long scene of God's work in saving his people. 
That first long scene is the scene of taking them from Egyptian bondage through 40 years in the wilderness and then into the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land of milk and honey, and then bringing them together from clans and tribes into a nation and finally putting over them a king after God's own heart, David, and holding them there in that pattern for about five centuries with all that goes on in, those, in, in that time period. And then God punishes them, takes them into Babylonian captivity and brings them back and holds them in that pattern for about 500 more years. And so now, 2,000 years after Abraham, 1,500 years after Moses, in the fullness of time, God sends forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to deliver, to save, to rescue, to liberate those who are under the law. Can you see the panorama and the theology and the story of how it all kind of chimes together? And so what you see in the life of Moses is a man who functioned, according to his training in Egypt, for 40 years. He was in Pharaoh's household. Now, some have made a little more out of this, I think, than the scriptures will tell us and bear. And that is that Moses was next in line to be Pharaoh. Well, that could be true. I don't know, but I don't think so. Because the pharaohs of Egypt were real famous about having palaces and hunting lodges in beautiful palatial grounds all over the country. And also having in those harems, a lot of women that had come to them from various sources. And by these women, they would have children. And then that's how you could be part of Pharaoh's household. And these children that were born were raised for particular purposes. The men were raised to be in the great Egyptian economy, loyal to their father and grandfathers, the pharaohs. But nevertheless, they themselves would be trained in the military arts. They would be trained in what was the highest literary culture of its day. They would not only know the Egyptian literary culture, but they would know how to deal with those roundabout, the, the early cultures of Syria and Babylon and the writing and very literary people for that ancient day, much more so than we thought a few years ago. Archaeology has given us a lot of confidence in the literary competence of the older Hebrew scriptures, especially with respect to Moses. They were trained to be priests in the household and in the religion of Pharaoh. They were trained to be leaders. They were trained to be engineers and technicians that would control and work and manage the many mining operations that was all around the place. So what part of this training and this upbringing Moses received, we're not sure. But whatever it was, it was excellent for his understanding of what his role would be in leadership one day for God's people. Also what his role would be in literature, that is in producing an inscripturated word of God. Before Moses got through, he had actually put in document form, in a book form, the entire history of God's people and also the word and the law of God. And he had brought that about as a product. 
Before Moses was through, he would function as a priest. In fact, his mother and dad were from the household of Levi, which was the priestly tribe, according to God's ordination. His brother Aaron, Moses' brother Aaron, would become the high priest, and Moses would work with him in the sacrifice. And also, maybe the things he learned had to do with engineering and architecture, because he would be the one that would receive from God that which we needed to know in order to build a tabernacle. And it was imperative that he build the tabernacle exactly as God had told him to build it, because it was the tabernacle that was going to represent to the people Christ himself. The skin stretched over the staves and the poles would be like skin stretched over bones. The tabernacle was a very incarnation where the Spirit of God would dwell in the Holy of Holies and the Shekinah glory in the most holy place. And this would be very important that all the furnishings, all the apparatus and all of the, the structure and the surroundings of the tabernacle would be built according to an architect's precision. So Moses in his work as a leader, as a scholar and an author and a literary person, as a priest would be very important. But one thing he lacked training in shepherding. He did not know how to take care of a bunch of straying sheep in a wilderness. So God gave him 40 years of training in that school. About age 40, the episode we read about here with the Egyptian, when he got about 40 years ahead of God's plan and decided he was going to be a judge and a ruler over Israel, and when it took matters into his own hands and got into trouble, sometimes it hurts to get ahead of the will of God. And so he was forced providentially to go into the desert. And so he went to Midian. It's interesting that the Midianites is where he went. These were descendants of Abraham, these Midianites. I'm not going to give you a quiz this morning, but do you know where and how? Well, when Sarah died, you know, Abraham had had a child, Ishmael, by Hagar, uh, Sarah's servant, handmaiden. You know the story there. And then most, uh, Abraham had had a son, a miraculous birth of the barren womb of Sarah, according to God's promise. And the son of promise, Isaac, comes forth. But that wasn't the end of Abraham's work. When Sarah died, he had another wife, Keturah. And she bore to him six sons. And one of these sons was Midian. And Midian became a strong and a mighty nation, as did most of all those nations that were descended from Ishmael and, and Keturah, these mighty nations. It was the Midianites, you remember, who had been working with the Ishmaelites to put together a big old caravan going down from Canaan down into Egypt. They were on their way down there when Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the pit and instead of killing him, sold him for 30 pieces of silver to the caravan of Midianites and Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And that's how Joseph became imprisoned in Egypt. And tons and tons of stories. That's what a whole lot of this portion of the Bible right here, which is really bigger than the New Testament right here, <laughs> that portion of your Bible tells these stories. Stories are wonderful. 
They're, they're historical, but yet they're extremely um, uh, uh, meaningful. You can get all kinds of symbolism and motifs out of them. Let me show you one right here. It was right in our text. I read it. Some of you may have caught it. And Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. What does that mean? Have you ever followed that through Scripture? Have you ever looked and seen what happened in Scripture? It was when Abimelech, when he sat down by a well, a woman at the well came, and guess who it was? It was Rachel who would become Jake, uh, Isaac's wife. Hagar, when she fled Sarah's wrath in the desert, she sat down by a well. What happened at the well? The Lord met her there. And the Lord promised protection and blessing and told her to return and, and, and completely redirected and restored Hagar's life and put Ishmael back in good standing with his father. So much so that when he was a young man, Abraham wanted Ishmael to be the chosen one. But the Lord said, no, no, Isaac is the seed of promise, not Ishmael. Jesus sat down at a well. And here comes a woman to Jesus. And if you'll study the woman's life, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and find out what the depth of her sin was, the, the particular character of her religious understanding and her zeal for her religion, her morality, her sensitivity, and if you will watch what happens in that exchange and bring to bear to your mind all the things that God has done in salvation, there's a sense in which Jesus talking to the woman at the well is Jesus drawing his bride. Now, he didn't marry the woman at the well. Did you hear me? He didn't marry the woman at the well. There's enough silly heresies out there about who Jesus may or may not have married to start with. But she is a picture of each of us who make up the bride of Christ. Deep in our sins, blinded in our prejudices, helpless in our state, depressed in our soul, at a dead end in life. And when he that speaks to her gives her living water, then she comes to life and she tells the whole world. She's the first one in the New Testament text to use the, the, the phrase, He's the Savior of the world. And you can develop all these, these things that are here. There's a lot of them. I've, I've studied them for years, and it's one of the most exciting things you'll ever read in the Scriptures to see these motifs in these pictures. I'll give you one more that's kind of interesting. Do I have time? Oh, I don't. Uh, I'll give it to you anyway. There's a picture in Bethlehem, way back in the book of Ruth. And there's a picture of a woman sitting there holding a newborn baby on her lap. Yeah. A picture of the Virgin Mary and now with the baby Jesus on her lap. But way back, a thousand years before Christ, that scene had been painted already as Naomi held the little baby that Ruth and Boaz had had, which would become one of the ancestors of Christ. Now, Bill, I know you have to make up for the time I waste. <laughs> but
But give me about 90 seconds here. I just want to point something out to you. It won't take long. I wrote them all down, and I won't preach each and every one of them. But I was looking for things that might talk to us out of the life of, and ministry of Moses. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in Midian, 40 years in the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. And uh, I started looking in the Gospel of John, and I never left the first chapter. Listen to him. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We wouldn't know what John was talking about if we didn't know about the tabernacle in the wilderness. John 1.17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. We'd never know about grace if we didn't know the law. 29, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We wouldn't know what the death of Christ was all about if we didn't know about the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb, the Passover Supper that God's people ate the night that they left Egypt. Verse 45, chapter 1, John. A couple of the disciples find another couple of guys and bring them together and says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law, wrote. And then finally, in verse 21 of John, some people were coming out and looking at John the Baptist and was very impressed with his gift of prophecy. And they said, who are you, Elijah? He said, no. They said, well, they asked him, said, well, are you that prophet? And he said, no, I'm not. But I've come to bear witness of that prophet. Who's that prophet? That's Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and following, where God says to Moses, I'm going to send my people a prophet like you. So when we talk about Moses, when we study Moses, when we preach Moses, we're preaching Christ. In fact, Jesus said a little, little while over in John, he said, you think you know Moses? If you knew Moses, you'd know me, for he wrote of me. A long time before John pointed the finger and said, Behold the Lamb of God, Moses had pointed the finger and said, This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Let me ask you one question. Have you been delivered? Have you been saved? Have you been rescued? Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call upon Him in sincerity, in repentance, in faith, in believing. Come unto Him, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Most important thing you'll ever do in your life is to understand and know that you've been freed from the law of sin and death and have been made alive unto Christ by his resurrection, whereby he said, I am the resurrection and the life.